All right, well, turn to Second Peter again. We'll be in uh, verses one or chapter one, verses twelve through fifteen this morning. And uh, let's pray as we go to God's word uh, for our nourishment. Our heavenly Father, we thank you for working through um, our brother and, and father in the faith, the Apostle Peter to write this letter for us. And thank you for he and all, all who have come since, who have passed down to us the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us, I pray, to be a people who remembers your faithfulness and who reminds the next generation to recall it as well. Um, may your Holy Spirit be manifest this morning in the opening of our eyes and the softening of our hearts and opening our ears as we sit under your word proclaimed in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and read God's Word. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. The Apostle Peter writes, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. Now I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. Amen. You may be seated. So just before we moved here, I attended the Rocky Mountain Presbytery uh, one time in Colorado Springs for the PCA and... Uh, you may know that there's always a worship service at, at, at Presbytery. And uh, for the few I've been to, they're always encouraging to me. There's just something about the notion of this body of believers, which represents a larger body of believers in a large geographical re- region, that, that gets me exciting. There's something tangibly Catholic, something universal about it that you can sense when you're in the room. At this particular one, uh, there was a man preaching, kind of an old veteran of the PCA. In fact, I think he was a minister of of one of the denominations out of which the PCA was formed. So he was PCA before there was PCA. And uh, you know, a man uh, this this man was by the doctor's assessment going to die from cancer in only a matter of months. Yet he was there preaching at Presbytery. And a man of his stature and veterancy in the denomination addressing this room of mostly seminary trained uh, pastors could have kind of come up with this grand theological discourse with big, big theological words and people would have understood it. Uh, but, and I don't remember all the details of his message, but I remember it was not like that. It was simple. And it was a message probably most of the men in that room had preached 20 or 30 times themselves. And it was particularly powerful, not because of his oratory skill or his theological display of knowledge, uh, but I know from talking to some of the brothers in the room that he left an impression on many. And it was a simple message calling us to persist, to persevere in the faith. See, I think the words that a man utters in his final days, his last words, if you will, strike us in a way that normal words don't strike us. 
there are several departing messages or what we might call testaments in the Bible. Uh, Moses addresses Israel in the book of Deuteronomy just before he dies. Jesus in the upper room discourse before he dies. And here, Peter in this passage seems to be giving something of a final testament before his death. And some believe all of Second Peter is a testament, but I think just maybe the first chapter is his, his final testament before he dies. The words of a person for whom death is imminent are stirring, and they are so because a dying person has only so many breaths left, and he, he's not going to want to waste them. We get a sense of what's really important to this man. The things he wants us to know. The things he wants us to remember. So in this text, we get a picture of what the Apostle Peter wants everyone to know. And here in this text, Peter repeats himself, really, essentially three times, adding a little nuance each time. It's almost like that synthetic parallelism. You get a sense of his Jewish heritage as he expresses himself in this way. Uh, but for each of these three ways he expresses himself, I want to consider it from Peter's angle, and then I want to kind of consider it from our angle. What do we receive from it? Um, so the first time he expresses this this thought is, I call it Peter's repetitiveness. Peter's repetitiveness. And what we gain from this is a refreshment in old truth. <clears throat> Peter's repetitiveness. Second, Peter's urgency. Peter's urgency by which we are awakened by reminder. And third, Peter, Peter's foresight. Uh, Peter's foresight by which we gain uh, recall and what I call generational uh, recall. So first, Peter's repetitiveness. Uh, verse 12. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in them in the truth that you have. I had this great professor in seminary, uh, Dr. Hill. He was one of my favorites. Getting up there in years, and every Wednesday we'd have chapel in seminary, and in the summer when we had these visiting professors, the, the, the professors would preach. And uh, so this first summer... Uh, Dr. Hill preached a wonderful sermon on, on John 14. I can hear his voice in my head. He has a southern accent. I, I can hear him saying, In my father's house there are many rooms. The second summer there he preached another wonderful sermon. In my third summer he began to read his text, In my father's house there are many rooms. He preached the same exact message with the same fervor he did the first time. I don't think he was aware that he did that, but I've noticed with he and many other great older teachers in the faith, they don't remind, mind repeating themselves. It doesn't bother them in the least. They have their same stories, you hear them a hundred times, and they're effective. And generally, we want to hear them over and over. We in our culture like to, as the Athenians did, spend our time in, in hearing nothing except telling or hearing something new. We are fascinated by the new, the, the never before seen. The new draws a crowd while the old is boring. But Peter's not concerned with presenting something new. He doesn't mind repeating himself. He can say, as Paul did, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. 
Peter knows that old axiom, if it's new, it's not true. He knows that the people of God has always been called to be a people who remember, remember old truths. So he says, I'm always going to remind you about these things. I'm always going to remind you. He's like a father reminding his teenage son to act prudently. My dad, as I walked out the door as a teenager, would often say, don't do anything stupid. (laughs) And of course, I knew that, right? I know not not to do anything stupid. And I would proceed to go and do something stupid. (laughs) We need reminders. As Paul says, it's safe for you to be reminded. You know, a table saw operator doesn't need to be reminded not to put his hands in the blade, right? But surprisingly, it's not just the inexperienced who who cut their fingers off. Veteran table saw operators need to be reminded. So Peter is repetitive in his reminders, though he knows that they already know him, know know what he's preaching. So then what do Peter's reminders uh, produce in us? They produce in us, they they serve to refresh us in old truths. Truths that we are established in, firmly rooted in. You know, that gospel message is not just for the unbeliever. I mean, I'm sure, is it not your experience, the more you mature in Christ, the more you come to adore that timeless old message of the gospel of Jesus Christ? That He became a man to save rebels like us? It's not boring to be reminded of this. It's like a family member's, you, know, you get to go to a reunion and they rehearse the same old stories and each time they're every bit as funny or sad or wise as they were the first time. And we love to hear those old stories. They are what root us in our family tradition. Now the ESV here uh, makes a interpretive decision, which I disagree with. They supply the word qualities, um, He's going to remind them of the... He says, I always intend to remind you of these qualities, which I really think it should be these things. It should be more broad than that. He's not just talking about that list of qualities, but all he's said so far, literally, I intend to remind you of these things, the preceding message which the qualities are a part of, but it's that whole gospel message of the divine power of Christ through His own glory and excellence supplying us an intimate knowledge of Him and a faith which produces the fruit of righteousness. These things are the lifeblood of the Christian. It says, a heart pumps circularly. These themes cycle through our hearts, daily supplying life to our whole being. Peter's reminders serve to plunge our roots deeper into the truth that we already have, that we already know. It's the winds of untruth of the false teachers that would blow us over. Those faddish waves of doctrine, they would sweep us away. We can always be further confirmed in the truth. Our roots could always grow deeper. We could always sure up our foundations more. It would be foolish to say, I'm saved. I don't need to hear any more about this message. Thus, the reminders of the Apostle are neither burdensome nor nor boring. They are a preserving grace of God as we encounter dangers of untruth every day. 
I think isn't that the issue that's at stake really is truth. False teachers in their gusty doctrines push to waver us in the truth. They want their followers to follow their voices and their programs, not the truth. But we know he who is the truth, therefore we possess the truth. Doreen actually read it this morning or quoted it. Uh, For this purpose I was born, Jesus said. For this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Peter's remind us, reminders confirm us and indeed refresh us in truth that is old and that is familiar that we already possess. Now, how many times have we heard about the holiness of God? And yet, how refreshing is it every time you've heard R.C. Sproul expound Isaiah 6? I don't know if you've heard the, the sermon uh, where he, he starts out and he takes his Bible and he says, Turn to Isaiah 40. He says, I do preach other things besides Isaiah 6. But he's repeated that so many times. He's known for that and praise God for that. Repetitiveness of our spiritual forebearers and of Peter uh, truly does refresh us in familiar truths. And next we get the sense of Peter's urgency, an urgency which serves to awaken us by reminder. <coughs> Peter's urgency, verse 13 and 14. I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. It's almost like we get a glimpse into Peter's consciousness here. You can kind of imagine him wrestling. And I know the feeling well. It's like I've kind of already said this already. I, I think I need to say it again, but I don't want to offend people thinking they, don't, they weren't listening. You know, It's almost like he feels a little bit guilty or, or perhaps... You know, he's going to offend them, telling them something they already know. But his conclusion is is in his conscience is, no, I think it's right. I'm going to say it again. And in fact, he says, as long as I'm in this body, I'm going to make a concerted effort to stir them up, to remind you, to enliven you by reminding you of these realities. It is his awareness of the shortness of his time on earth which produces this urgency. He knows his death is approaching, so his words carry that weight, the weight of a final testament. And he knows he's going to die because Jesus told him. Remember what Jesus said to Peter after that lakeside breakfast at the end of John. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old... You will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after this he said to him, Follow me. So we know tradition says that Peter was crucified as Jesus was, but that he requested to be crucified upside down because he didn't want to die. He didn't feel worthy to die in the same way that Jesus did. And that was what Jesus was foretelling So if Jesus, we think, was born around 4 B.C., lived about 30 years, he would have died around A.D. 26. That breakfast was probably in that year or or right in there. 
And the date of writing of Second Peter is estimated to be around A.D. 65. That's about 39 years since Jesus prophesied Peter's death. Assuming was Peter was 20 to 30 at the time, maybe, maybe younger, but he would be pushing 60 or 70 in an age where 50 is a pretty good run. So he is officially old. When Jesus says, when you're old, this is going to happen to you. So he knows his death is sometime right around the corner. And it's interesting how Peter views death here. He calls it the putting off of the body. Putting off of the body. And there's a word for body in Greek, soma. There's a word for flesh, sarks. And there's also this word that Peter uses, uh, skenomatai, which literally is tent or tabernacle. So he's putting off his tent. It's not that Peter thinks flesh is bad or it's a temporary housing for the soul. Uh, but rather he says, I'm putting off this body. One commenter says that he's verbally kind of pointing to his body. This I'm putting off this body. Calvin says, there's to be understood an implied contrast between the fading tabernacle and a perpetual habitation, which Paul explains in 2 Corinthians 5. And uh, later on in verse 15, he also speaks of his departure, the word departure, which literally is this word exodus. He's speaking of his exodus in verse 15. He sees his departure from this world in this body as a step up toward a better homeland, a greater habitation. The imminence of Peter's departure produces in him an urgency, which we would do well to heed his urgency, but also to emulate his urgency as an example to us. None of us knows for sure that we will live through the rest of today. And in fact, you know, a lifespan of a man is 70 years, or maybe now today, 70 to 100 years, if it goes well. The Bible calls it a mist. Here today, died and forgotten a generation or two from now. Do we have Peter's urgency to cultivate gospel truth in our own lives, or to propagate it in the world? You know, what would we say to people as our final testament? What, what would be revealed as our ultimate priority? And it's an interesting question to ask ourselves. It's an interesting exercise, but it's more than an exercise because we could very well die tomorrow. And really on that grand timeline of, of cosmic history, a day and 70 years is a point. It doesn't matter. Peter reminds us with urgency, and we would do well to follow his example. Uh, but what do his urgent reminders accomplish in us he says they stir us up that word to stir up means to awaken or to raise up we need to be awakened i'm perplexed within myself grieved oftentimes at my failure to be captivated by the truth that i already know you know what would it be like if we were really alive to the things that we know about god we would stand back in awe filled fear at the might of god we, we would weep daily for how we've transgressed his law. We would rejoice constantly at his redeeming love. And our bellies would burn with the need to tell the whole world what he's done in Christ. And to be constant in prayer, meditation, 
and offering up sacrifices of praise would flow, flow freely. I find those things to take a lot of effort. I think they would flow freely if we were truly alive to what we know. But sadly, the corruption of sin still clings to our flesh. And for now, we do see dimly as through a mirror. So we need our sleepy hearts awakened. We need to remember by the ministry of the apostles and the prophets in the scriptures, we need to remember. But by hearing every week the word proclaimed, we remember. By the sacrament of remembrance. These things are chief among God's awakening. If we desire spiritual awakening, I think the most important thing we can do in life is to have buns on pew every week. But also we are awakened by encouragement and challenges of our brothers and sisters and ultimately in all of life by the Holy Spirit himself. It's precious when God does grant by any of these means a shot of life, a shot of awakening into our souls. Yesterday morning I woke up and I'm sure you've had these experiences many times, but I had this keen awareness of the creative power of God. For some reason I woke up with that in my head. I was just amazed For a few minutes, the Holy Spirit reminded me that God created everything ex nihilo. And I just lay there truly astonished at everything because everything exists. Without Him, nothing would exist. And by Him, everything does exist. And I was amazed. And prayers of praise flowed freely and naturally from my heart. See, something I already knew was brought to my mind, was brought to my remembrance. And I was awakened. I was stirred to life by it. That's Peter's purpose, and the reason for his urgency is to remind people of God and stir them to life. Finally here, let's consider Peter's foresight, which results in a continued and even generational recall. Verse 15, Now I'll make every effort so that after my departure he may be able at any time to recall these things. So even when he's dead and gone, Peter wants his reminders to be ringing in the ears of the hearers. While he still has breath, he's going to pour himself into this task so that his influence will be felt even after his death. He wants the truths of the Christian faith to be familiar, so familiar that at any time we can bring them to mind. Now Peter's name, Peter's unique because he is a prominent figure in Scripture, so he will never be forgotten. But his concern is not the name of Peter. You know, you always hear things like, leave a legacy. I think I went to a Promise Keepers about that when I was a kid. Leave a legacy. Usually what people mean when they say leave a legacy is do something so that you're remembered. right? Be remembered for the person who promoted the good. Do the family name proud. Be the father or mother that your kids and grandkids look up to as a role model, right? That's leave a legacy. And those are all good things. I have no qualms with any of that. However, the truth is most of us will not be remembered past a couple of generations. Sadly, I don't know very much about my great-grandparents. I know a few of their names, not even all of them. It's eight people. But a number of my ancestors did leave me a legacy, and one which is so great that it can be detached from their names and their persons entirely and be just as valuable, even more so, because they have passed on the faith. 
And that's the call. I love this, this saying, preach the gospel, die, be forgotten. See, Peter doesn't say, I'll make every effort so that after my departure you will remember me. He wants them to remember these things, the gospel truths he's expounded, the gift of faith and knowledge in Christ, the fruitful outworking of a living faith in the promises of God. And indeed, as an apostle with inscripturated writings, Peter's legacy has been remembered through the ages. But he's pointed people not to himself, but to their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The result is that we are then the recipients of a generational recall. The apostolic band has borne witness to the things of Jesus, and that testimony has been passed on in a rich heritage. Generation after generation has brought to mind over and over again the things of God as found in Scripture, and passed them on to their children, both their physical children and their spiritual children. By God's providential grace, we have inherited these recollections, and it is our duty to pass them on to the next generation, both to our children and to the next generation of disciples who are yet to be called in. I love Psalm 78. I'm going to read seven verses. If you'd like to turn there, you can, but I'm going to read it, the first seven verses. Psalm 78. It says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders he has done. He has established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. So if we're to pass on this generational recall, we need to bring the things of God to our own minds often. We need to, as they say, preach the gospel to ourselves. I loved what Michael told us about meditation, that it was this idea of murmuring to yourself. constantly meditating on the scriptures, memorizing scripture, daily applying it to our lives, applying the gospel as a balm to our guilt and our weakness. Moreover, we must persist so that future generations do not suffer covenant forgetfulness. Deuteronomy 4, 9 and 10 says, Only take care And keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children, how on the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb. The Lord said to me, 
Gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on earth, and that they may teach their children so. So, uh, <laughs> a small backsliding now can end in total covenant rejection a few generations from now. Covenant forgetfulness is the most tragic of all forgetfulness. So how many times have we observed a faithful family or a faithful ministry or a faithful uh, church walk away slowly into apostasy? So we need to never forget that our God, who by the blood of Christ has redeemed us from the house of slavery, is our God and we are his people. And may we bring to mind often the truth we possess and follow in Peter's urgency to remind others. I want to close... Today, with a, a prayer from the Valley of Vision, again, uh, this one I think is called the Disciples' Renewal. So let's pray together. Oh, my Savior, help me. I am so slow to learn, so prone to forget, so weak to climb. I am in the foothills when I should be on the heights. I am pained by my graceless heart, my prayerless days, my poverty of love, my sloth in the heavenly race, my sullied conscience, my wasted hours, my unspent opportunities. I am blind while light shines around me. Take the scales from my eyes. Grind to dust the evil heart of unbelief. Make it my chiefest joy to study thee, meditate on thee, gaze on thee, sit like Mary at thy feet, lean on like John on thy breast, appeal to like Peter to thy love, Count like Paul all things done. Give me increase in progress and grace so that there may be more decision in my character, more vigor in my purposes, more elevation in my life, more fervor in my devotion, more constancy in my zeal. As I have position in the world, keep me from making the world my position. May I never seek the creature where in the creature what can be found in the Creator. Let not faith cease from seeking thee until it vanishes into sight. Ride forth in me, thou King of kings and Lord of lords, that I may live victoriously and in victory attain my end. Amen.